Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. So faith and finances. If you think about it, sometimes it can be a very odd combination of words, but then if you think about it in another sense, it can be a very strong combination of words, right? It can be right on time or it can be totally not what I was expecting or what I wanted, right? Faith and finances. For a, for a Christian, for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to be faith and, you fill in the blank, Faith and marriage, faith and parenting, faith and work, faith and hobbies, faith in my social life in my, with my friends, faith in absolutely everything. So it's obviously got to connect here with faith and finances. I think that sometimes we have heard so much about money and the church or money and church leaders to where we've gotten a little bit blown away with it. We've gotten a little bit uh, overloaded with the thought of it. And and so we kind of shy away from it. And if anybody shies away from it, you can ask any of our elders. I'm one that shies away from it because I don't want to be that guy that I don't want to be the preacher that that's always talking about money. Let me say this. Um, it is your duty to tithe and offer and give offerings and give, although this series of messages is, is not about that. But if I'm just totally honest with you, the only reason that I'm concerned about you and your money is because I know one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for everything, including your money. <laughs> right? So last week we had a little illustration. That's all I had in my pockets. Right. Money is is a little bit more. Than what we think it is, it's it's a little bit more than just just green paper. You sitting up front, you know, that's a one dollar bill. That's all I got. It's It's a whole lot more than just green paper. Right. But but the the problem, the problem isn't money. And and if we're all honest, the problem has never been money. Right. The the problem has never been money. The the problem has been this thing called stewardship, A, a big word. Some of us may not know a whole lot about the term stewardship, but let me just put it to you this way. Have you ever been at the end of the month and had no more money? You got one of two problems. Okay. Either you don't have enough coming in because you got more going out than you got coming in and there's just no way. If I'm not making what it takes to pay for what I got, then that's a, that's a gap in my finances, right? That's an issue with my budgeting. Now, very few people in the United States of America have that issue, really. If we, if we all just going to be absolutely honest about it, very few people in this opulent society, one of the most wealthy nations in all the world, have that issue. So... If it's one of two problems, that could be a problem, but the issue is is stewardship. Not really doing with what's coming in as I should be doing with what's coming in to be able to manage what's going out. You see, I've got an imbalance somewhere. I may be getting some money that is coming in through my work, but I am making it rain in places it shouldn't rain. You feel me? I am spending money where I should not be spending money. 
somebody, some, Laurie showed me something that somebody f- posted on, on Facebook and it says, if you've got a, a wallet full of rele- receipts, it's really a book that describes to you why you broke. <laughs> something to that effect, right? And so what we want to do this morning is since last week we looked in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 through 24 and we understood that Jesus talked about money. Jesus dealt with the issue of money because there is a direct relationship between my heart and my money and my spending and my getting and sometimes on my just keeping and saving. You know, there, there, there is a wonderful balance of both gaining and giving because you can get into one of caveats of cancer to where I get and it goes way too quick and spend all on me or I get and I can all I get and sit on the lid. I, I don't do anything with it. I'm just, how many of you guys ever seen the television show Hoarders? Yeah, you're just doing that with money, right? And you're going to turn out like Scrooge. Everywhere you turn, it's going to be a ball humbug. And, and so, so stewardship has a balance of both receiving and knowing where to give and how to give. And Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. But today we're going to look at some more of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. If you got your Bibles, you can flip over with me to Matthew chapter 25. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to look at one verse, verse 29. And then we're going to, we're going to jump right into the, the whole context. What we're talking about today is doing more with what I've got. Doing more with what i got. And, and I think all of us want to be able to do that. All of us want to be able to do more with what we've got, no matter how much we've got. If we feel like we've got a lot or we feel like we've got a little, we still want to be able to do it more with what we've got. The question is, is what is the definition of more and how are you going to apply the more with what you've got in your life. And so here Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 29, of course this is stepping midstream into this entire story that Jesus is telling, this parable. He says, for unto everyone that hath been given, for everyone that shall be given, let me back up and read that again. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he that shall have, uh, let me read it on the screen. Man, I'm super excited this morning. And I ain't even had coffee yet. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. <laughs> the King James, I understand, it can be a little bit contorted there. And it's, it's already a, a very strong statement that Jesus is making. And if we were to take that one verse and run away with that verse, we might come away with a conclusion that, hey, man, I ain't got anything. You telling me what I do have is going to be taken away from me. What's the context? What's the story developing from this verse? Read this verse again. Here Jesus says, at the end of the second parable in Matthew chapter 25, both of these parables dealing with stewardship, and I'll talk about both of them in just a moment. He says, for unto, for, for unto everyone that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. If you've studied the Bible, you know Matthew, of course, this is the first book in the New Testament. It is the gospel record of Jesus in his life. There is a lot of talk in the the gospel of Matthew about how Jesus is a king and he is the king. Are y'all with me? He is the king. He is either a king received or a king rejected, but he is a king. 
He is the king received into your heart and your life and you submit to his authority and rule. You say, Jesus, you are a king. You do inside of my life. I will follow your plan as a part of your kingdom and submit to your rule, submit to your life, submit to whatever you want me to do as king. Or he is a rejected king and a rejected king doesn't show favorably upon those whom he is rejected by. You better get this part. He is a king, and, and Matthew points that out. He is a king. He is either a king rejected or he's a king received. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he is a king that has been received into our heart, and is, he takes his rightful place and throne upon our heart. He guides and directs our lives. But for those who reject the king, it doesn't mean that he is any less of a king. It doesn't mean any less that his, his reign will rule. It doesn't mean any less that this king is not coming. This king is coming and this king is going to establish everything that he has promised in the gospels, in the Bible. He is going to establish every principle and every virtue and every rule as he returns. Got to understand that. I, I, I want you, if you're here this morning, and you have been rejecting the king to receive the king because by receiving the king, you'll have favor by the king. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is with his disciples and they're outside of the temple and they begin to ask questions about the temple and Jesus starts a dialogue. He starts a, a lesson with his disciples about when the end shall come and how the end shall come and he begins to talk about this last day kind of conversation and it runs all the way into chapter 25. He's still talking. If you've got a red letter Bible, you'll see that chapter 24 and chapter 25 just blend together with red and Jesus transitions from talking about how the kingdom will come and when the kingdom will come and some of the effects of the kingdom into now let's talk about the application of what I've just told you. Let me say this guys, anytime you open the Bible, anytime you hear the word preached, don't go away with just knowledge with no application. You, you've got to have some application to the truth that you've received. You've got to say, okay, now I know what it is. What do I do with it? And so what did Jesus do in Matthew chapter 24? He gives them the explanation. Here's the knowledge of something. And with knowledge comes responsibility. In chapter 25, he says, no, this is what to do with it. How did he teach that? He taught two parables in the front part of Matthew chapter 25. The first parable is about 10 virgins and they've got their lamps set with oil and five burn it out and five keep it. And, and, the, and the, the story basically is this, make sure that you're ready for when the bridegroom comes, that you've got oil in your lamp, that you've been a good steward of your life for when Jesus comes back. We, we've been talking about faith and finances and we'll continue to talk about faith and finances throughout the rest of the, the month. But you're responsible with more than just your money. Right? You're responsible with a whole lot more than just your money. You're responsible with everything in your life. In the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, there are phrases that, that are like this. Every idle word and every idle deed will be brought before the Lord in the day of judgment. Understand this, that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to escape a judgment in the end. We, we, we pridefully wear our shirts that say, you can't judge me. Am I right? Don't judge when, when is the last time you, maybe even in a jokingly way, said to somebody, don't judge me. 
when I was eating my fourth Twinkie. <laughs> you know, don't judge me. We, we, we love Matthew 7, 1. Judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me. But in the end, even for the Christian, there is judgment. Andy, what are the judgments in the, in the end? Well, there's two judgments, right? There is the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20 to where those who have rejected the king will stand before. And at that moment, the king will be forced by their rejection of him to reject them and to cast them into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a place called hell. Death and hell, according to Revelation chapter 20, will be cast into the lake of fire, the, the eternal abode for those who have rejected the king. That is the great white throne judgment. But there is another place, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, called the Bema seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that you will, as a follower of Jesus, stand before God and it's not based on saved or not saved. It's based on stewardship. What have you done with what you got? Can I do more with what I've got? Absolutely. Your relationships, the words that you speak, the thoughts that you think, the deeds that you do, how you relate to your boss. Oh, Andy, save that message for Friday afternoon. Right? Not too close to Monday morning. How you relate to your boss or authority, period, teacher, principal. Right? But also money. I've seen too many people surrender their lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, you can have it all, but. Right? Jesus, you can, you can have it all, but I'm going to continue this relationship that's not good. Jesus, you can have it all, but, but, but I'm going to still talk the way I want to talk when I get around the boys. Jesus, you can have it all, but I'm not going to delete that website out of my phone. Jesus, you can have it all, but. You can have it all, but Jesus, just don't, don't touch my money. You know, it's all I got. The whole time Jesus thinking, yeah, it's all you got because that's all you're good with. Hmm. Let it sink in. Right? Feel like you're in a sauna. Soak. <laughs> right? It's, it's a matter of Stewardship. And so my desire as your friend and pastor is to love you enough to tell you you're going to give account one day with that stuff. So do better with that stuff. Okay, Andy, how do we, how do, we do better with this stuff? How do we do better with our money? Well, well, the second parable that Jesus tells after the ten versions with, with, with the oil and the lamps and the five of them running out and five of them got and the bridegroom come and they're not ready. The whole story is be ready. The second story is very similar. Jesus is telling a parable about a master who goes away and he has three servants. And with these three servants, he brings them together and he knows which servants he can trust with what. You got to get that, okay? He knows to whom he can trust with what. With, with one service, a servant, he gives ten talents. And with one servant, he gives five talents. And with one servant, he gives one talent. Somebody said, Andy, what are the talents? Verse 27, that thou oughtest therefore have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with ushery. 
some people say, well, talents, is that the same thing? We got talents today. I've got multiple talents I can use for God. Absolutely. It's a whole lot easier for you to do something for God than give something to God at times. Right? God doesn't want what's on the side or what's easy. God wants what's attached to your heart more than anything. No matter what that is, God wants what is attached to your heart. God wants you to give to the place to where it's difficult for you to give more than just money. Because this is what it, what it shows God when we give what's difficult to him to give is showing that we trust him, that we know that he's got everything under control and that we are willing to sacrifice everything we have for him. Right? Andy, is, is the talents money? Well, according to the, the, the words of Jesus in verse 27, it, it is money. And so with these talents, the, this, this form of money, currency back in that day, he gave one ten, one five, and one one. And the master goes away for a long season. He eventually comes back. Now, again, you've got to put this in the context of Jesus preparing his disciples. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the third day. That is the gospel. That's what forgives us. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. He, he is going to come again. He's given the promise that I'm going to come again. It's been a long time since the master left us with some talents in our hands. And if we're not careful, we might forget that he's coming again. This, this master, he shows back up and he comes to review the, the servants and what they've done with the talents that he left. And with the one who had 10, he said, look, master, you gave me 10. You come back and I've got 10 more. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Goes to the woman five. Master, you gave me five talents. You went away. You came back. I've got five more talents to give to you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then there was the guy with the one talent. He didn't get 10 talents because he wasn't that kind of steward. The master knew his servants. He knows their hearts. He knows what they can handle. And with that one talent, he says, I dug in the earth. I put it in the ground. I covered it up. It's been in the ground since you left. Here's the one talent. Jesus says, oh, man. You tore it from the flow up. This ain't right. This is bad. Right? It says you're going to be cast into outer darkness. It's, it's an issue. It's an issue. As a matter of fact, I, I, I want us to just kind of read some things that, that these three stewards said about their master. The, the first two had a really good perspective of their master. But the third said, verse 24. Well, let's back up to verse, yeah, verse 24. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went in and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, here is all that belongs to you, right? This is, this is your talent. This, Andy, how can I be a good steward of the things that God has granted me to have in this life? How can I make sure that when Jesus comes back, that I'm the steward that's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, that's what I want to be. January 1, 2023. It is etched in history for all time. Can't go back and get it back. 
we established that day as a faith family that embrace will be faithful, right? We talked about faithfulness. We looked in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, where, where God says, I am faithful and I'm the one who has called you and I'm going to perform it. I am a faithful God. And because he is a faithful God, we are to be faithful people. And we should be as faithful as this ladybug that shows up every Sunday morning <laughs> and flies in my face. Good gracious. Faithfulness. To be a faithful steward. How do I how do I be a faithful steward with my finances? Because the fact of the matter is all of us sometime or another are going to blow it, want to blow it, want to spend extravagantly and then wonder why the ends don't meet at the end of the month. What is Jesus teaching us through this parable? The first thing Jesus teaches us through this parable is that we are to love the giver. <laughs> to love the giver is key when it comes to everything in life but especially finances. How many of you men, and in particular you men, have thought to yourselves, you know what, I get up early every Monday morning, every day of the week, I'm out there, I'm working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, I want to come home and feel appreciated. Don't raise your hands, please. Just answer it in your heart. Man, I'm, I'm working my fingers to the bone. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Understand that the only way you got up Monday morning, period, was by the grace of God. The only reason that you've got a job is because God has blessed you to be able to have a job. The only reason that you have wits to say, I need money to pay my bills and take care of my family, is because God has kept your mind together. It's all a gift from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says... Every good and perfect gift comes from him, the father of lights, with whom there is no variables, no shadow of turning. He is a good God. He doesn't change, and he desires to bless his children. Right? To, to love the giver. And I want to make sure that I stress this, to love the giver more than you love the gift. I think sometimes we're more enraptured with the gift than we are the giver, and then all of a sudden our possessions become possessing, uh, possess us. Right? Ownership all of a sudden changes. Just like with Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, dealt with the issue of the heart, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It's an issue of the heart. Do you love what you have more than you love who gave you what you have? Is your heart inclined to love him? Because if your heart is inclined to love him, let me just put it in a good explanation. You, you've, got a, you've got a child. Your child loves you, right? And your child comes to you and they say, Daddy, I want to give you this sucker. And they give you a sucker. And you take that sucker and you say, thank you, son. And you hug him and you put it in your pocket. And you, you got that sucker. You, you, got, you may have, have diabetes. I don't know. But you're going to get that sucker from your son because you love your child, right? Everybody with me? But then five minutes later, your son runs up to you and says, hey, daddy, I know I gave you that sucker, but I need to give, I want to give that sucker to my friend because I'm out of suckers and, and I love my friend. I want to give my friend that sucker. You're going to say to your seven-year-old son, boy, no, you better go get a job and get another sucker. You done gave me this sucker. This sucker belongs to me. I ain't ate it yet, but it's in my pocket. I done sweated on a little, you know, it's there, it's mine. No, what do you do? You, you, love your, you love the giver of the gift and you say to the giver of the gift, I know that you intended this for me now, but I love you more than the gift. I want to see you happy in giving that gift to your friend. 
You see, that's, that's loving the giver more than loving the gift. That's appreciating the giver more than appreciating the gift. Guys, things come and go. There's plenty of that stuff out there. If you look around, a lot of us, we're expiring. We're not going to be around forever. What is life but a vapor? It's a tale that's told. It's here and gone. So to appreciate others with the gifts that God has given us, to, to love the giver of the gift. There were, again, there were two perspectives. If you go back to verse 20 of Matthew chapter 25, notice one perspective. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents saying this, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained five more besides those talents. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents said unto him, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained the other two talents beside them. But notice what the perspective of the third one was. He already hit on it some, but the third guy, the final guy, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathered where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there hast that thine, that is thine. The, the perspectives of, of the guys. The, the one with five says, Lord, you've come back and I've gained for you. I, I respect you. I, I honor you. I, I, I recognize that this never really was mine. And, and when you, I, I was taking care of what you gave me, knowing that you were going to come back and take from me. So I've, I've made sure that when you've come back, I've given you more. The same with two, he comes back and he gives him, he gives him more. The, but the last guy, the last guy makes some observation about his master. <laughs> he says, I know that you're a tough man, hard man. You, you, you've gathered where you have not sown. You're expecting something that you shouldn't be expecting. He says, so I was afraid. And by a fear-driven response, I've buried it. And all you have is what you gave me. Just the one. Now, let me say this. This is a parable. Later, the master says to this servant, you knew that I was a man who had not, I gathered where I've not strolled. I was a hard man. I was difficult to deal with. Understand, this is a parable. This is a parable of both comparison and a parable of contrast. A comparison in the stewards in our lives, but a contrast in the master and God. The master, the, the master is good. He is, he's given talents to these guys. He's allowed them to have responsibility. He's given them some ownership in their decisions. But the contrast is that we have a God who is not, not wicked in the same way that this master is being described as wicked. We have a God who is only gathering where he is only sown. We've got a master, although he is a judge and he is righteous and good and holy and makes only perfect decisions, but he is loving and kind and full of mercy and grace. It's a comparison contrast. I believe the reason that Jesus included this part into this parable is because he knows that with our money, we see God in one of two ways. We see God as a generous giver of our, uh, to our needs through what we do with our finances. And he is welcome to take out of that anything he so desires. And then there is another perspective of God to where it's almost like when we get it, we feel like we got to hide it from him. 
we feel like we're tipping God instead of giving to God. You know what I'm saying? Has God, 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 I just, I just really don't have that much to give to you, Lord. And I know this ain't a tithing message, but this is anywhere. This is in anything to do with your financing. I just, I just can't. But you ate out 17 times last month. Right? You replace that tool that you don't ever use. Yeah. So, so the idea here is perspective. Which of the three servants do you think love the master and which of the three servants do you think abuse the master's gift? Be one who, who loves the giver. Be one who loves the giver. Jesus is also teaching us to take the calculated risk. Make sure that we take calculated risk. There's three guys here that are delivered different uh, talents, different amounts of monies, and there were two out of the three that was willing to step up and take a risk with their finances. I understand this. Life involves risks. Life involves risk. You can't live without risk. If you, if you try to, it's, you're still taking a risk, <laughs> Right? Still taking a risk. This is, this is how we take a calculated risk. Actions happen after carefully thought out or planned steps are made. That's what calculated means. Here, these stewards, these, these servants, they, they, they think forwardly. They're thinking, okay, what do I need to do? How can I better manage, best manage the talents that my master has given to me so that when he comes back, I will be able to bless him with more than what he left me with. I'm willing to go to those who the scripture says, you, you should have given my money to the usher. You, 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 should, have, you should have invested the money somewhere to where there is a possibility of gain, but also there is a possibility of loss. It's, it's a risky thing. When we take a calculated risk, what we're literally doing is we're saying, okay, what is the risk and what is the chance of the reward? Okay, maybe sometimes financially we kind of get our brain off to the side with that. It's kind of like me when I go to my tax guy, my brain just puts it in neutral and idles until it runs out of gas. Okay. You, you were somewhere to where a certain somebody caught your eye. And then you got close enough to smell that they put on perfume and cologne. And then all of a sudden, you had an attraction there. And you're wanting to talk to that person. And you're wondering, is that the person that I could date, spend some time with? Maybe the rest of my life with. And so what you decided to do was step up and say, hey, my name is. Or for the younger generation, you slid into their DMs. Right? And you said, I saw you at the game. What up, girl? You know, whatever fits. You took a risk. You took a risk because the fact of the matter is there's probably been times to where you did that and got rejected, right? And, 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 and if you're married and you love your spouse, you're probably thinking, man, I was glad I got rejected before. 
because I'm feeling pretty good right now. But that was a risk that you took. And you weighed out the risk with the reward. The same thing goes here. <laughs> we we want to be good stewards of our finances. We want to make sure that we're doing the best with what we've got. And sometimes that means that you've got to do some risky things with your money to see to it that there's a, a reward granted. Verse 16 through 18. Notice what the scripture says. And then he that had received the five talents, I think I said 10 and five earlier, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. So there's the 10. And likewise, he that had received the two also gained the other two, but he that received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money because he was afraid. He didn't love the giver. He was afraid of the giver in a, not a worshipful way, but in a, a tacky way. Like that God was going to get at him. So the question is, are you, are you investing with what you've got? Or are you just digging holes and putting money in holes? Let, let me explain that. I know we ain't got a whole lot more time, but let me explain that real quick. Are you investing what you've got? Or are you digging holes and putting in a... You want to tell you what, what it looks like to dig and put in holes? Not saying that it's wrong to have things. But when things have you, when, 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 when it's your everyday pursuit to get up and go to work to get money to get more stuff, it's a hole. It's a hole. I don't know if you have heard of a guy named John Piper. He's a preacher, preached for a very long time, wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in the comparison of two people's lives, one that people around in the secular world said, oh man, that person wasted their life compared to another couple that the world would probably say, man, they're living it up. There was one couple in their 50s, made a lot of good money, saved for retirement, retired real young, and decided to move to Florida and collect seashells for the rest of their life. And the world would say, man, they're living it up. Number one, I hate the sand, so that wouldn't have been me. They're living it up. Another one, an older lady in her late 70s moves off to Africa, serves in the mission field, and dies in a car wreck. And people look at her life and say, what a waste. What a waste. Which one do you think was the waste and which one do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. There, there, there's a lot of holes that we're digging and putting the talents in, thinking that we're living it up, we're enjoying life, that we're putting it in neutral, that we're taking it, taking it easy, and I just, I just want my me time. I, I just want to spend a little so, something on me. And, and, and really, it's, it's become obsessive and, and compulsive. And, and then all of a sudden, why in the world do you need 150 pair of shoes? Okay, Andy, you better stop preaching. Yeah. You don't. It's holes. You're putting, you're putting talents in holes. What's, what's the investment side of this? Guys, understand, I was just telling Laurie the other day, I've got more clothes in my closet and in my dressers than I'm ever going to wear. This is stupid. Why? The investment... I can tell you right now, it's going to be people. Look around this room. Look around. It's okay. It's going to be real awkward. People are going to wonder, why'd you look at me? That's why. That's what you do with your money. Bless people. Help people in need. 
Don't, don't, don't take away from the opportunity of a door that might be used, uh, that a door might be opened by your giving so that you can ultimately give the greatest thing, which is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You say, Andy, what if they, what if I meet a need and they won't hear the gospel? It's a risk. But it is worth the reward. It's what we get to do here in this office all the time. The last thought is this. Jesus is teaching us to get ready for the return. Investments call for return, right? I mean, that's a, that, that, and, and, and maybe you were thinking, if you're thinking about investments, you're thinking about that kind of return, but I'm not really talking about that kind of return. Although there should be a return on your investment, getting ready for another kind of return, getting ready for the Lord's return, because <laughs> the Lord is returning, and the Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to say, what did you do with, I le with what I left you? Did you do more with what you've got? Because really, it's, money isn't the problem. Really, if you think about it, stewardship is the problem. I've, I've had this bowl up here. And honestly, my intentions with this bowl has changed. I might throw Greg and Eli a little bit of a curveball. But this is just kind of what I feel like I need to do today. Because I, I want to, hey guys, look at me real quick. I don't want to be that guy that gets up here and preaches it and doesn't do it. That's what I'm going to do today. This bowl, at the end of this time, is going to be sitting on this table right over there after everybody's done with their response. This bowl, I don't know how much money's in it right now, but there's some, there's some good money in it. Okay? This bowl's going to be sitting right there on this table. And if you have a need that hasn't been met, you can come to this bowl and get out of this bowl the money that you need to meet your need. You may be here and say, you know what, Andy? I don't have any needs. I want to give. This bowl is going to be sitting right here on this table. If you just want to give to the bowl so that somebody can get a need met, then you, and we're not going to watch this bowl. Ain't nobody going to be over here looking at this bowl saying, Did you, you got too much money, put that money back in. Okay? I'm going to let you and Jesus handle your decision. And if you can go to bed tonight with the decision you made, then I'm gravy with it. And what we're going to do is we're going to do that. We're going to do that next Sunday morning and the next Sunday morning. Right? Because the thing is, is we want to invest in people. I want you to invest in people. Know that this is a risky thing, but I believe there's a great reward with it.